Welcome to Financial Planning for Entrepreneurs and Tech Professionals. I'm your host, Mike Morton, Certified Financial Planner and Chartered Financial Counselor. Today, Matt and I discuss the difference between risk and volatility. Just because stocks go up and down doesn't necessarily mean that your portfolio is risky. And that cash under your mattress, that might be the most risk you're taking. Enjoy the show. I'm Matt Robeson, and I'm joined, as always, by Mike Morton of Morton Financial Advice. Mike, how are you? Good, man. Doing great today. I'm also doing great. And for our video viewers today, because there may be some, we're broadcast on WKXL, we're available as a podcast, and we're on video. And for our video viewers today, we're playing a fun game called When Will the Piece of Artwork on Matt's Zoom Wall Fall Down Behind Him? You can imagine, if you're listening to this, what the situation is. There is a very kludgy solution to a not very secure piece of artwork behind me. I don't know. It's just a risk that I'm going to have to take. And speaking of risk, Mike, you made a comment to me that I'm not sure I understand. And maybe you'll flesh it out for me and for our listeners. You said, we measure risk the wrong way. And that's a financial thing, which is your expertise. So... What do you mean we measure risk the wrong way? Right. So when we're talking about risk, the risk of things, right? We can think of all kinds of situations like your artwork that's uh, risky at the moment. Very precarious. Uh, or other situations. Very precarious. Kids taking risks when you have young children. <laughs> You'll be well aware of uh, kids taking on risk. So in the financial markets, there's risk as well. And let me ask you a question, Matt. Uh, I assume in your retirement account, you might have a target date fund. I do. I do have a target date fund. Okay. What do you think is risky about that fund if it goes up and down, that you could potentially lose some money? Yeah. History says I won't, but probability says I could. Yeah, that that would seem like a risk to me, that I would actually either lose money or not make nearly the amount of money that I'm counting on for my retirement. Sure. So you could lose money, right? Because the markets go up and down. So if you check in next month or next year, maybe you've lost some money. The market's gone down and you've lost some money, right? You look at the account balance and it's gone from uh, 1.2 million, Matt, down to 1.1 million. <laughs> you put the the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable and you put the comma in the wrong place there. But sure, $1.2 million. Go for it. Why not? That's a risk. So you're thinking about that, but that's not the risk, Matt, because you haven't lost any money. Your account balance has gone down. Your paper value has gone down. The market's gone down, but you haven't lost any money. You haven't cashed out that money. That money is not uh, being spent a year from now. That money is going to be spent 10 or 20 or 30 years from now. So what we're looking at there is what you would call volatility, The markets go up and down. Individual stock prices go up and down. They could be more or less volatile. Bonds don't tend to go up and down as much. Individual stocks or startup companies or venture funds might go up and down tremendously or go to zero. So that is a measure of volatility. And our confusion, most people think risk and volatility are the same thing. And that's where we get into trouble with thinking about how to think about risk. I see. Is it a time thing. What I'm really afraid of is I will lose money at the time that I need it. But what you're saying sounds more like, I don't really care if I take a meandering road on the way to the destination as long as I get there. So just because things go down 
over the next five years or 10 years, it doesn't really matter as long as the trajectory is the one I want. That's right. The way I think about risk is a couple of things. One is the risk of permanent loss. Okay, so you permanently lose that money. Mm. That's one risk. And the other risk is that you are not able to reach your goals. And what you have framed it there is saying, oh, in 20 or 30 years, I would like to retire. I'd like to have this pot of money to be able to retire so I can do X, Y, and Z things, use my resources to enjoy my life, to reach those goals. So the risk to me on your retirement funds, Mike, I'm putting in $100 a month, $1,000 a month for those that retirements in 20 or 30 years. The risk is that you won't be able to accomplish your goals, not the path along the way. I see. Well, that makes sense. Thinking about it more broadly in terms of goals and not about the journey. People always say, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. Apparently that's wrong. It is about the destination, not freaking out too much along the way. But that said, with that reframed definition of risk, okay, put it in the Mike Morton terms, how do I avoid it? How do I make sure that I don't face that risk? So there's no way of avoiding risks in the sense that there's always trade-offs between one risk and another risk. So you want to take on the correct risks in your life. So let me give you an example. We could go to, with your retirement funds, we can go to the casino and put it, bet it all on black. And we know that we're either going to double our money or go to zero. That's one very short-term risk. According to the philosopher, Wesley Snipes, that's actually the right move hundred percent of the time. You always <laughs> bet on black. That's right. hundred percent of the time. It works hundred so percent of the time. Okay, go on. <laughs> so that's one type of risk is that short-term risk, but long-term risk. Okay. We could also just stash that money under the mattress. Hey, you know what? I'm going to need this money. I'm going to stash it under the mattress. So you're not going to bet it. You're not going to invest it. You're not going to bet that money. But the long-term risk is that you're losing purchasing power to inflation. Okay, just by holding on to $10,000 of cash, we know that wages go up, inflation goes up over time, and so your purchasing power is going down for that $1,000 hmm. of cash. You can't buy as much when you reach retirement. So that's a real risk. And I feel that most people get caught up in the short-term risks because of the headlines, the volatility, the, the news cycle, the economy. It's all very fascinating. That's what we tune into. So we overemphasize those short-term volatility as risk, and we underemphasize the real risk, which is the, that you will not have money you need in the far future. I think it's a famous NBA long shooter who said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Now, I've never agreed with that, especially when that shooter is particularly tragic and represents my team. But I see why your reframing of what risk really is in that regard. Because if I just stick the money under my mattress, I really do have a an almost 100% risk of not obtaining my goals because my money's certainly not going to grow and it's extremely likely to erode in value. So is that the right way for me as an individual investor to think about risk or how should I as an individual investor think about risk? Yeah, that's exactly correct. That you want to make sure that whatever goals you have, you have a plan to reach those goals and take the appropriate amount of risk. Now, if we're talking, again, we're talking about retirement a few times here. So things that are far in the future, potentially 10, 20, 30 years, the risk is you don't have the money available. If you need a million dollars, say, to retire, if you can save 
<clears throat> and, and if you think that's accurate, you know, you're projecting out in the future, I need $1 million for covering for inflation and other things. If you can save 50000 a year for 20 years, you don't really need to invest that very heavily because that would reach your $1 million, Okay, So you don't need to take on volatility. You know, you can have those in very stable funds and savings or check-ins accounts because you know you can reach it. So that's a great plan. But if you can only save 30000 a year and you have 20 years and you want to get to $1 million, then you need to take on some appropriate level of investing in order to try to reach those goals to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. People are so not built to think in these terms. Because everything you just said makes total logical sense. And I think about it, it's easier for me to think about it, maybe it's because it ties to my own personal situation, with a more near-term goal, am I going to have enough money to send my kid to college, which I'm going to have to do in, well, it's eight years away, right? And if I look at the amount of money that I've saved right now, I do not have enough money today. And I'm not putting away enough money each month to reach my goal in eight years. And so as exactly as you just said, I have to take on some volatility. I have to take on what most people would call risk. But what you're saying is volatility. I have to expose myself to those ups and downs because history and probability says that's the only way to increase the rate of return, and I'm going to need that rate of return if I'm going to hit my goal. But it's so hard to think that way because if things go badly, it's we see this all the time in the world. It's very hard to tell ourselves the story or to explain to other people, to explain to my wife, no, no, we had to do things this way because the relative risk of not hitting our goal was higher if we didn't expose ourselves to volatility, then if we did, do you find that you work with clients on these kinds of things all the time? Are people resistant to this way of thinking? Are they able to look at the world this way and, and be okay with the fact that you're weighing different probabilities? Yeah, I think it's a great way of looking at it. And what we need to do a lot of times I couch it in those terms, eight years from now, you need these dollars. So what is the most appropriate way of investing for those to spend those dollars in eight years or spend them in 20 years. So in your case with a college fund, hey, we're going to start spending them in eight years. So we want to take on some level of investment given the history of how stocks perform and bonds perform and what we hope to expect, maybe getting that five, six, seven percent return. But understanding, so when you look at it in eight years time frame, you have a different probability of where that money is going to end up plus or minus what we might say a standard deviation, right? Versus where it might be in one year, if you need that money in one year. And our brains are really tied to the one-year volatility. Oh, geez, it seems really risky. It could go down 20 or 30%. That's true in one year. But when you need dollars in eight years, then the likelihood of it being down by 20 or 30% are pretty small. Now, the likelihood of it being you know, up only a couple percent yeah, that uh, could be reasonable. The likelihood of it being up 30 or 40%, that might be the average. And maybe if we get great next set of eight years, it could be even more than that. So when you frame, when are you going to spend the dollars, then what are the probabilities of where it's going to be, say 5 6% per year, 
plus or minus your standard deviations. And that's the way to think about those dollars in the future. But it's so hard. It's so hard. You see this all the time in things like the NBA draft, just to choose a different sport and a different sports metaphor. You've got Your team's got a high draft pick and they've got to decide who to go with. And the reality is that you make these selections and at least half the time, they don't work out to the level that you think they're going to. And when they don't work out, everyone, including within your own organization, is willing to pile on and say, you made the wrong choice. And people lose their jobs. And look, what's the number one thing that couples fight about? It's money. That's the number one thing. And there's just a tendency in sports organizations, and I'm sure in marriages, to take on less volatility. Even if, as you've just demonstrated in a very dispassionate, mathematical way, you're better off saying, look, this is what gives me the better upside. This is what the numbers say is going to leave me in a better place in terms of my goals. It comes back to everything you were saying before. If you define what your goal is and that's what you want to achieve, this is the path to get there. Are your clients, are you in your own life able to accept the the possibility that you're going to have a bad outcome? And even if you had a bad outcome, it doesn't mean you made the wrong decision. Yeah, exactly. It's a tough one. But I think as humans, <clears throat> we often adjust no matter what the course is that we've set for ourselves. So when I'm talking with my clients, we're setting one year goals and maybe five years or 10 years, whatever time frame they're in. We talk about what money you'll need at different times and what's appropriate expectations for that money over time. And a lot of times what happens is okay, if we get some great years, we might end up here. If we get some bad years, we might end up here. But we'll know that in advance and we'll make adjustments. Now, this is what we do as humans all the time. If the market and the economy is crashing and people are losing jobs and your stock portfolio is down, are we taking trips to Europe and taking a few weeks off work? Not really. That's just natural. When the stock market's gone up for four or five years in a row, people, you know, their net worth has grown. Are they taking those trips at those times off? Yeah, they are. So that's just a natural reaction to how you're feeling about your net worth. And the other thing I'll say is that your goals are tied to your resources. I want to enjoy this way of living in the future or next week, next month, or five years from now. I want to enjoy this way of living. Well, what are the aspects of that way of living that are really important to you? Often, if you explore that topic, it's not as tied to absolute dollars as you might expect. So in other words, I really want a beach house because I want to live right by the ocean. What do you love about the ocean? I just love being near the water and the wind and the surf. Are there other ways of doing that if you can't quite afford a whole beach house that you could take advantage of that? There's going to be a myriad of options that you can enjoy the same feelings and sensations um, and get almost the same or the same value out of it in terms of your life that don't take nearly as many dollars. And we do this all the time. It's just natural. For me, that equivalent would be to pour some sand down my pants, take a walk in the heat, and then pour a bucket of salt water over my face because I'm not an ocean guy. It's interesting because what you just said, besides the ocean metaphor, does tie to an observation that you made to me, which I find interesting, which is that stocks are one of the least risky investments. 
Why is that? Because stocks are volatile. They go up and down. What what makes stocks one of the least risky investments? Exactly. Thanks for bringing that up, Matt. Stocks are one of the least risky when you're looking at the correct timeframes. And so there's some graphs you can try to include in the show notes that, that again, show you, well, in 10 years, here's the average rate of return and plus or minus standard deviations. And you'll find that stock portfolios are well outperforming bonds or just checking or savings accounts because they're tied to the economy, which generally is going up. And they're tied to businesses producing products that we enjoy, that you keep purchasing. And so they, that part of the market, the stock market and individual companies and in aggregate index funds of companies tend to outperform, well outperform inflation. Okay. So now when we're talking about your retirement portfolio and you might split it up again, you have a 401k, you've got a brokerage account, you've got goals for next year, you got a vacation you're saving for. You might have these in different buckets, but that longer term, 10, 20, 30 years, stocks are by far the least risky investment. It strikes me that one of the things that you have to weigh in here is FOMO. It's fear of missing (laughs) out, right? Because the other side of the coin is the temptation to say, with 2020 hindsight usually, oh, if only I had done this, I would have made this much more money. And then you look forward and you say, I could be missing out because it's so hard for us to imagine that the bad side of the outcome is going to occur. And so- we, we can just as easily talk ourselves into perhaps taking on too much volatility. Look, all of that said, you put it all in the blender, right? Like human beings are bad at being able to live with the idea of, hey, just because you had a bad outcome doesn't mean you made the wrong decision. And on the other side, we're all beset by FOMO all the time. And we just, we see nothing but like gold-plated outcomes in the future. How does an investor put all this together, deal with headlines, volatility? What's the strategy here? Yeah, I think first understanding your own individual goals is a first, a great first step. And the goal is not, I want as much money as possible. That's everybody's first thing like, oh, I've got a pile of money. I want to save as much as I can afford to save. And then I want it to grow as much as possible because I'd like the most money possible. That's fantastic, but really, what are your goals? How are you going to use that resource? Start really thinking about that. I think that's the the most critical thing. Uh, because again, you can find when you start defining what you want to accomplish in life, what's important to you, whether it's in work, your family, uh, volunteering, giving back, whatever is important to you. If you start writing that down and then putting it in a time frame, you can start accomplishing those things. Once it's in that time frame, understanding this is what I'm interested in doing. This is where I'd like to go. And once you start getting more and more comfortable with that, which takes time, then you can start tuning out all the other noise because you will understand that you have a perspective for this is what I want to do. And so now you're reading these other things with that new understanding. Now, that doesn't really pertain to me because I know where I'm headed. Um, and so that's a great way of starting. But the rest, Matt, is like everything else, just it's setting up your environment for success. Okay. Do you really need to watch CNBC every day? <laughs> Do you really need to check your stocks uh, every day just to read the headlines? Just under, even understanding that those headlines are there to grab you, to manipulate you emotionally, to read more on that website, click more. That's going to go a long way. And whatever you can start cutting out on that front, I guarantee you'll start feeling better. That really does connect to all of the longstanding advice here, which is 
take the long-term view, stay laser focused on that and ignore the noise, which is but let me so say hard. this too. Go ahead. We do talk about the long-term view and we've mentioned retirement a number of times and it's super boring for everybody, Matt. Yeah, but who cares 20 years from now? I care about what I'm doing next month. There's so many things that you can do, again, with goals. Just say, what do you want to do next month? What, how do you want to feel six months from now? What do you want to look back one year from now and have accomplished? Right. Just one year. What do you want to look back and say, wow, I'm so proud I did this thing. I accomplished this thing, whether it's family, work, whatever it is that you're interested in. We don't have to always take the long view. We really don't always have to save tons of money for different things. Uh, we can have experiences and do things to accomplish and feel great in the very immediate future. What I like about your kind of closing comment there is that it's sort of like Neo. It's not really about the spoon. Don't think about the spoon. It's not really about the finances. It really is about the goals. Mike Morton, my goals for this episode were to understand how to measure risk the right way and to avoid getting hit on the head by a piece of my child's artwork. I think we've accomplished both. Thank you so much. (laughs) That was great. Thanks for joining us on Financial Planning for Entrepreneurs. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to and rate the podcast on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can connect with me at LinkedIn or MortonFinancialAdvice.com. I'd love to get your feedback. If you have a comment or question, please email me at FinancialPlanningPod at gmail.com. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered for investment advice. Opinions expressed as are of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. We do not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of the data presented here.